Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of the next episode titled Enrollment, not just open annually, to receive that code for Sherm Credit. Now, enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of The Benefits Breakdown. I am Vanessa Longnecker here with my laughing partner in Vanessa, crime. Vanessa, good afternoon. Adam Compton here with you. Excited <laughs> to see you. We are giddy because there's just a lot of fun. We've been catching up uh, and, and just can't wait to introduce our special guest, Kevin Sipneski. Kevin is with our Brown & Brown team and helps lead the Aegis Network for our long-term care solutions. And it's just this really interesting marketplace, a lot that employers have to be thinking about. So Kevin, welcome to the Benefits Breakdown. We are just so excited to have you. Well, thank you very much for having us. We, uh, it's, it's a crazy time in long-term care and uh, happy to talk through it with you all. So maybe we just start there, this, this industry, the long-term care industry. For those of us that have been doing this for some time, we just have seen a lot of change, a lot of things happening. We can look back to disruption back in the day where carriers went in the market, carriers went out of the market. Uh, but now let's look at what's been happening over the past, uh, I put a time frame to it, maybe a couple of years. And we've seen a lot of things happen. Yep. And maybe just put a little state of the state, if we could, of what you're seeing and all the excitement. And that might lead us into some things that employers can take away for what they might need to do. Perfect. Yeah. I- the long-term care market was pretty vibrant back in the you know 90s and 2000s, and then it kind of went away because basically the policies were paying out too much, and they didn't price them high enough. They missed they missed on the the assumptions, and it it was really the need didn't change. The need just has been getting worse, but the policies were just not priced appropriately. People got upset with rate increases, and the the market kind of went dark for a while and very quiet. And now it's it's not quiet any longer. It is hot and heavy, and the state legislation happening in Washington really changed things, and other states are looking at solutions because basically it's just crushing state budgets, right? The the long-term care, so many people end up on the welfare system, Medicaid, where you impoverish yourself, and that's all you got left is the government, you know, help. And the governments just weren't set up for to have, you know, everyone on Medicaid by the end of their long-term care event. Right. I mean, uh, knowing this all too well and firsthand, right? Loved ones are spending every last penny, right, to pay for their care before turning themselves over to be wards of the state or the likes and having state support. So it's just, it is a crazy, crazy conversation, one in which most Americans don't envision themselves facing, right? And you you mentioned for a long time, LTC was long-term care, LTC was a very common practice. It was a benefit that was extended to the masses, we saw many markets really retract and and their state filings really were crippled. They they changed the dynamics as we've seen these regulatory pressures play out. Let's start with the regulatory climate, right? Many of our listeners may not have a, a sniff to what we're speaking to. They may operate in certain markets, not in others. Tell us what's really changed there and why we've seen this topic become so hot and heavy as of late. Yeah, with the burden of the the budget, the state budgets and Medicaid, you saw Washington that doesn't have a state income tax say, we've got to solve this for the future. And so the state of Washington instituted a payroll tax for all the people that didn't have long-term care insurance. And so there, you can imagine all the large employers in Washington and all the small employers in Washington, but it was a, 
you know, basically a 0.0058, you know, tax. Uh, so half a percent, just above half a percent tax on uh, all of your income, all of your W-2 income. So that is a lot of money for someone, you know, in the higher echelons of the pay scale. And that was in 2021, right? So we're talking and, pretty recent. Yeah. Okay. It, it happened and, and it is, if anyone tells you they know what's going on in a state with the legislation, they're, they're not really telling the truth because stuff can change <laughs> in an instant. There was not going to be an opt-out in Washington. Then there was going to be an opt-out. Then there wasn't. Then there was going to be a three-month opt-out. It ended up being a six-month window where you could go buy long-term care insurance and get out of the state tax. But the, you know, the reality is, is it was, you know, everything's happening, everything's dynamic. So you can say, here's what's there now, but tomorrow it could be different. But the reality is when you have such a massive group of people all trying to buy long-term care at once to get out of this tax, the insurance companies were overwhelmed. The employers were like, we're, we were talking to large employers in Washington, and we were giving them information. They're like, we have not heard any of this. How do you guys, you know, three states away, telling us what's going on here? So it wasn't well publicized in Washington, and it just became a mess. Carriers pulled out of the market because they said, we can't handle this. We, in fact, told some large employers that we would have loved to work with, sorry, we do not have any more capacity. And Washington was the last place. Nobody else is going to do long-term care ever in the future, right? No other states. No, okay, sarcasm here. But and that—that's the beginning right. to what. <laughs> maybe hopefully we learn. They learn something, I would think. But you never know. But the docket, to your point of regulation, Vanessa, is just bubbling up. Like, it, exactly. what's next? Like, there's others that are right around the corner. It seems like. Well, they, it, you'd never know for sure, right? But. Um, states like California are spending money on studying a similar program. New York floated a bill last year. It didn't get refloated this year. Uh, Pennsylvania floated a bill last year, similar to Washington, with, but not with a forward-looking opt-out. They then, again, it wasn't floated the you know, for first part of this year, but uh, April 10th, they floated another bill very similar to the one from the previous year. So there's about 14 states looking at different solutions. They're not all looking at taxes. Some are saying we're going to give people tax credits to go buy this. So some are using the, the carrot, and then others are looking at more a carrot with a stick if you don't buy it. Um, and so it's really, I think you're going to see states where the budgets are the tightest and states with significant senior populations scramble first. Because right. this is a budget problem and it's a senior citizens problem, and I'm either the the youngest baby boomer or I'm the <laughs> oldest of the next group, and it's going to be a mess by the time you know I'm in my mid seventies, pushing eighty. If I make it that far, uh, it's going to be a mess because the baby boomers are going to drain the pond. Right. I think that just to step back into the cost of this, why is it important? Because Long-term care is so darn expensive. And I think we had some internal stats and we shared some numbers about, you know, how much it is per per month, per semi-private room or private room. It's thousands, if not 10,000. I think you said, what, over six figures, Kevin, for just kind of an annualized number. Yeah, an annualized number for a semi-private room is over 100,000. And now, you know, if you're in a, a, a low cost of living, it'll be a little bit below that. You're in, you know, Hawaii or California. It's going to be well above that. And where's that going to? Because inflation or what you project, 
the, what we pay for now is going to be very different than what we're going to need. Again, pick your time frame. If I'm a 25 year old just getting into the workforce, if I go to 40 years and make it to retirement, or retirement's probably going to be like 90 at that point. But you're going to have to be able to plan <laughs> oh, for, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but planning for that now, much like your retirement plan, seems to be the go-to. So we're we're prepping for that in the future. It's very much like saving for retirement. The sooner you start, the easier it is. And the other challenge is, you you know, you can't buy this once you're already unhealthy. You can't insure a burning house, yeah. right? And the same thing happens with, with long-term care. You need to be healthy when you buy it. And, you know, not a big fan of, you know, some of the talk show people that in the finance world saying, you know, buy this at 60. Because I can tell you there's a significant amount of people that can't afford it and can't get it from a health perspective by 60. This is something people should be looking at at 40 and 50 years old to purchase when you're healthier, it's affordable. But just think the average claim for Genworth, who's the largest payer of claims these days, is uh, about 177,000 a year. So I'm going to round up, call that 200,000 wow. a year today. Okay. Or 200,000 is the average claim they pay. It might, it's not all within one year. So it's 200,000 the average claim. But that's going up at four to 5% a year in, in cost. So by the time I get there 30 years from now, that 200,000 will be four. And that 400000 will then double again to eight because it's compound, right? Inflation is compound. So by the right. time I get to 80-something, my costs, my average claim cost could be 800000 That doesn't make All my right. retirement portfolio look so robust anymore. And that's the challenge with the baby boomers is this was not something anyone worried about before because we didn't live long enough. We can solve this problem if we go back to only living to 70 75. If we're going to live to 75, 80, and 90, this is going to be a problem for America that we have not solved. It's interesting and, and certainly backs the whys for 21 plus states on our docket and radar now that all are talking about some sort of state specific reg or mandate or credit or you name it, right? We're going to see yep. every flavor of the rainbow here probably in awesome ways. Who knows what will rise to the top as best practices, but regardless, it's leaving a lot of employers scrambling with how do we solve for this? How can we be more proactive, right? Now, in the past, pre-COVID days, we had an employer that might operate in a state, Minnesota. Maybe they had teammates that were vastly in Minnesota, a few surrounding tri-state areas. Now we've got a workforce that's hybrid at new levels, right? These regulatory pressures are changing the dialogue. And there's there's not many employers that are exempt from having to understand these dynamics. So number one, the importance of being proactive and understanding what is happening, tapping our teams, understanding where this might be coming down the pipe and how can I be proactive on behalf of my teammates, right, to make sure they're well engaged and informed. On the flip side, I would say that the type of product set that's now being filed and the evolution of that product set I think has a stronger appetite than ever before because they're more versatile, right? They serve a different dynamic. They have different restrictions than right. legacy policies for those that bought them 10, 20, you know, years ago, early market entrance. But they also can tie back to some form of term life. So whether it becomes an LTC need or a life insurance, right, guarantee, can you speak more to the evolution of the product itself? Sure. Really, the, the original products and in the traditional long-term care, by and large, is like your car insurance. You use it 
or you lose it, right? You, you don't get money back if you don't file a claim. And everyone's okay with that with their car insurance or their homeowner's insurance. But for some reason, that bothered people that, well, I'm going to spend all this money. And then if I die in my sleep with no long-term care need, I lose all that money. I'm kind of like in my mind, I'm saying, well, that's a win. Um, but it does bother the 40-year-old, 50-year-old consumer. And so a lot of the new products that are coming out have, as you said, Vanessa, have a life insurance component. So you're going to get money when you die, or you're going to get money for long-term care. And then a lot of them are both. You'll get money for long-term care if you need it, and there'll still be a death benefit. And you go, well, we've got life insurance at work. Why do we need that? Well, if you think about it, you know, some, some accounting rules changed years ago, which is really boring, so I'm not going to go there. But it, <laughs> it made retiree life insurance and retiree health insurance a thing of the past. So employees don't retire with any life insurance by and large. And maybe you bought some from your Northwestern Mutual Aid or your you know, state farm agent. But in general, most of Americans retire with zero insurance. And when you're retired, you know, you don't maybe need half a million or a million, you know, as you do when you're raising a family and the kids in college and all that. But you need something probably, right? Final expense, payoff credit cards, funeral. I mean, we were just doing a study for a group in Hawaii. The average funeral cost in Hawaii is $15,000. You know, that's not a little amount of money for, for a lot of families. So, you know, having some life insurance into retirement permanent is critical. And that's kind of what these new products solve for. But then if you need long-term care, that's there too. So it's, you know, you might pay a little more than the traditional long-term care for that, but it's because you're getting two policies for one. So, I mean, you get what you pay for kind of thing. So our beloved teammate, Jared, is not here today, but I have to pull a Jared and we're going to do something that he likes to do. Vanessa is our CEO. Uh, I'm the uh, HR professional for somebody with 750 employees, but I cover most of the states. We were pretty remote. And uh, I never really thought of long-term care as a need for my my employees, but I'm starting to listen to you, Kevin. I know you're smart. I get it. I'm kind of smart, so I'm starting to process it. But I need you to need to simple it down for me. Of like, how do I how do I start to think about this as an employer? I mean, it seems like I might start thinking state by state, but I need to start that process. How do you begin that project to consider long-term care, and is it a right fit for my organization? So Vanessa doesn't fire me. <laughs> well, Vanessa's would never fire you. Oh, right? She said some wonderful things about, about how you're doing. Oh, thank goodness. Um, but uh, <laughs> it, it's really start now. We've talked to some employers. We're going to wait to see where the legislation goes. The, the, that is going to put you behind the ball, and it might put you, you know, behind the, the truck that's coming at you because there's no solution for you. And, and, but I'm also not one of those that says the sky is falling. You have to do something tomorrow. Start looking at it, start considering it, whether it's in your state or not, it doesn't remove, whether there's legislation going on in your state or not, doesn't really remove the need of, this is a pretty critical retirement wellness issue because all too often one spouse has this event and impoverishes the other spouse in the process. And so whether there's legislation or not, it's important for people. They haven't prepared for it. Just like saving for retirement, there's so many good things that employers help us with, right? And this is something that employers probably should consider helping with. And so look at a plan of, hey, over the next year or, you know, 24 months, uh, getting a plan in place. And then in there, most of these plans are voluntary. So there's not a big, big lift in expense. 
And what I would tell you that most people haven't done historically is I would make this a bank draft, not payroll deduction, because you want employees to take it with them when they leave, whether they leave for a different job or they leave for retirement, it's automatically ported, right? They've taken it with right. them without any further action because all too often employees, and we just had one, an employee, you know, let their policy lapse and said, hey, I want it back. I forgot to take it with me. Sorry, your health has changed. You can't have it back. And we see that happen every week with our, you know, clients. And so we are going, you know, bank draft, the not payroll deduct, which also means there's no payroll lift for the employer. So there's no expense, there's no payroll lift in most of these circumstances. You might want to do some executive carve outs or such things, but it it's a it's a low level lift from a financial standpoint, and it's a low level lift administratively if you go bank draft versus payroll deduction. So, and it's a need whether there's something going on in your state or not. Why wouldn't this be something you planned it? to implement over the next year, year and a half. Yep. I love that too. And it's such a great point because the evolution of the product and the ability to ease administration, right, for right. employers has dramatically shifted. Certainly timely with the regulatory pressures, but as you've mentioned, with or without that in a state, this should be thought of as a kind of total population health and, and you know financial consideration when you're thinking about total rewards and strategy. And certainly it's a conversation we're having with so, so, so many today, and this is such a timely topic. We appreciate uh, that insight. I think you know, the other piece of that, that some question, well, then why wouldn't I do that? Certainly there's min par participation requirements and, you know, maybe give a little enlightenment around where the market's gone with that as well. Right. It's, you know, it's something you just have to communicate, right? It's not something that you can say, oh, we have this pet insurance plan, go buy it if you want it. Because I know what pet insurance does. I know what health insurance does. I actually even know what life insurance does. And most people do. That's an easy one, right? You die, they pay. Simple. There's no gray area claims, typically. And, and so with long-term care, they know nothing. They've never used it. They've never bought it. Yeah. They hope their parents have it, but in most cases, they don't. <laughs> and so it's something that you have to communicate it, but it's not you know, a heavy lift. It's some emails, some webinars, right? Because we're, we're creatures of procrastination. We did an account with uh, over 100,000 lives. They didn't send out emails. They didn't send out, uh, they didn't do webinars. They had a QR code that they posted on their screens and no one paid attention. We took a similar situation with, uh, in the state of Washington where there was a tax coming down, but we could see from the traffic on the enrollment site that even though there was a tax, it was going to smack these people in the head if they didn't do something. They didn't do anything unless there was a webinar or an email. And we, they would warn us because it was a, you know, big companies up there. And they would warn us, hey, we're sending out a comms, tell your call center. Um, <laughs> and it, sure enough, we, they'd send out an email and activity would spike. We'd do a webinar, activity would spike. But without that, it wasn't much of there. You know, it was kind of a flat line until something, someone you know, nudged someone. So you just have to nudge your employees provide them some education so they understand it. But that's going to be, you know, up to someone else. It's not like the employer has to do that education, the carrier or your, your partner. It's what we spend every day doing is promoting this issue and solutions for this. And, and it really wraps into what a lot of employers are doing today on a wellness standpoint is the whole caregiving thing. 
right? Because we're all going to be caregivers before we're care recipients. So we're, employers are now seeing that, oh my gosh, I have, you know, X number of employees just struggling and I can see it. And I would tell you, if you have any employees struggling with caregiving, the numbers probably double or triple because there's a whole right. bunch that aren't telling you about it. And, you know, that's why the advent of all the caregiver services that are out there, which is wonderful because they didn't exist 15 years ago. I mean, it was a very slim market. And now there's a bunch of them, which is a great thing. But that's helping people be caregivers. Who's helping finance the actual care? And that's the other end of the spectrum. You know, I'll speak personally, too. In the Brown and Brown world, we rolled out a long-term care. And I've been doing insurance for more of the years than I probably care to admit. So I'd like to think I know the baselines <laughs> to it. But I'll tell you that the communication, it, you almost don't know what to expect until you see it. Do I get what limit? Do I put an inflationary rider on there? Uh, what terms? And all that fun stuff, I really think ties back to uh, to our HR guests and friends and audience members. That's not on them. Like, don't be scared that that's going to be an influx on on that. That's the support that the industry is uh, providing. I know your team at Aegis is doing an amazing job with that personally. Um, and just, I think hopefully offer some comfort that and all those different working models, like maybe to your question on minimum participation, Vanessa, like you might not be able to get everybody, but maybe an executive group or something, just start talking about it. Yeah. The smaller the, the group, the, the, you know, you, there might, you might need to do some executive carve out, uh, sort that sort of thing to get some minimum level. So the carrier's comfortable with then offering guarantee issue. Because that's the other thing that went away for a while was guarantee issue. Uh, the old plans had them, then the you know newer plans didn't. And now with the life of the long-term care, you have an opportunity to get guarantee issue as well. Because there's a lot of us in our 50s or later that might not be as healthy as we used to be. So that guarantee right. issue, there, there, there might need to be some minimum participation or some level of employer funding for a small group to get that guarantee issue for the rest of the group. But if you're a, you know, call it a thousand lives or 500 lives and up, that you're probably going to find some level of guarantee issue available mm -hmm. with the carriers. And that's the other exciting thing is it, you know, there were not as many carriers in this and paying attention to it and revamping their products. Right now, I know of six household name carriers, well, five household name carriers, one carrier you've never heard of that, that is forming to get in this business because they see the opportunity. Uh, that, and they're taking a completely different tact, which is really cool. Um, and then other carriers that you have heard of are all refiling and revamping their product to address this issue at the regulatory level that they're seeing, as well as updating their product to be more robust for today's world. I love this. I, I, honestly, this is one that, uh, sadly, as a caregiver in recent years, for multiple generations within my own family, it resonates all too closely. You're right. Oftentimes, we don't know what we don't know until we see it right in front of our eyes. The reality is we've touched on a lot of things today, right? We've got a population shift. We have baby boomers, right, who are you know massive population shifts right here happening that have 
unprecedented needs on the horizon. We have increasing life expectancies, right? So um, prior generations were living longer than ever before. We certainly have advancements in medical care that are, are pushing those boundaries and expectations into the future. And sadly, we have increased risk as a population. We're seeing an uptick, right? I think we heard a stat, two in five adults over the age of 65 um, have greater risk of injury or disability that may require this level of care. Uh, between 2015 and 2026, I know the National Center of Health Statistics expects the number of older people with physical or cognitive disabilities to grow by almost 150%. 150%, right, from six, I believe it was six ish million to in excess or tipping 16 million population members needing serve, right? So this is certainly not a topic to be overlooked or to sit the bench, as I like to say. It is one that we're excited to have your expertise on the team to share back with our clients and listeners, our partners in the marketplace, and know that there's a lot of creative new solutions. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time, Kevin. And by all means, um, be well to our Benefits Breakdown listeners. Onward now. Thank you all very much. 